sermon series called Sing Me the Truth, and each week we're taking a look at one of Charles Wesley's greatest hits in our hymnal, and uh, this week our song is Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, which is by all accounts a United Methodist Church top 10. I mean, this, if, if this was uh, the record business, it would have gone platinum, right? I mean, we, just, we just love to sing this. And with all of these hymns that we're looking at, we're taking a look at the scripture that Charles Wesley used as inspiration for these. We're also looking at some of the theological themes so that we can take meaning for our lives right here in in 2020, even with texts that were written from the 1700s. And so the text that inspired this song, or one of the texts, is something that we really need to hear right here, right now, with the way things are going. The promise that in the end, good is going to overcome that God has not abandoned us, that God cares for us, all of us. And so we have this 21st chapter of the Revelation, and the first seven verses say this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God and they will be my children. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so each week with this, we turn to an expert in the history of music and uh, hymnody and someone who is just a really big Charles Wesley fan, and that is Sue Stanley. And so, Sue, uh, we have this hymn before us, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. What can you, what kind of new things can you enlighten us with? Well, I remember one of the things that uh, one of my professors talked about was that this hymn joins, you know, people have written about love and described love and drawn love and shown love, but this one actually talks to love and it makes it a person. Um, this literary device called apostrophes is putting, putting uh, human qualities on there. Um, so he used a lot of those kinds of tricks. That was the only one I was going to mention. But this other one, he kind of borrowed the concept and the format from John Dryden, an an old poet, and he Christianized one of his poems. John Dryden actually wrote, Fairest Isle, all isles excelling, seat of pleasures and of loves, Venus here will choose her dwelling and forsake her Cyprian groves. But Wesley wrote, Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. In fact, even the last line that we're going to sing today, Lost in Wonder, Love, and Praise, comes from another poet who, who chose, who closed to him with those exact same words. So he borrowed and he made them, put them in a Christian setting. Um, if you'll see, see this picture, 
you're going to see one of the first printings of this. Um, this is, comes from a hymnal that John Wesley published in 1761. And this is a different tune um, than what we have. This tune was actually written by Henry Purcell, and it was probably the tune that was used for the uh, John Dryden, the Love's Divine, uh, Isle Divine. So I thought that was kind of cool that they used that, and they had a tendency to do that. They would borrow music from orchestral works, folk tunes, opera, secular melodies, and they'd bring them into the church. They were the contemporary Christian writers and musicians of the day, which I thought was kind of cool to think about. In 1870, though, the tune that we're going to sing today was written and published was written for Wesley texts and was probably written for this text. So that's kind of fun to go that full circle. All right. And I look forward to us joining our voices together uh, a little bit later. Well, I learned something about Charles Wesley today. I, I want, how many of you believe in love at first sight? Are there people that believe in love at first sight? Maybe at home, you're sitting with someone and you just looked over at them and you remember what it was like when the aha moment came for you. But Charles Wesley fell in love at first sight. He was in his 40s. He saw this girl in her 20s and he realized this is it. This is who I'm going to spend the rest of my, my life with till death do us part. But he wrote this to her and... Uh, if you are a spouse, have ever been a spouse, or if you're a person who is in a committed relationship, how would you feel if your lover uh, said this to you? Her name was Sally Gwynn. He said, you have heard me acknowledge that at first sight, my soul seemed pleased to take acquaintance with thee. That's just scorching hot, right? That needs Fabio on the covers. You know, my soul seemed pleased. Then he says, and never have I found such a nearness to any fellow creature as you. Do not call your significant other a creature. Just don't do it. But he ends with this. Oh, may it bring us nearer and nearer to God till we are both swallowed up in the immensity of his love. I love that imagery. To be swallowed up in the immensity of God's love. And as he went into this relationship with this life partner, he said to her, you know, this is actually going to be a part of a spiritual journey. We can, we can come to know the glory and the love of God together, even greater than we could all on our own, swallowed up in God's love. And I think we come to church because we want something deeper. We want an experience of that love, the love that can transform us. And so we have all of these wonderful tools, prayer and meditation and contemplation, but also the music, the music which really stirs our heart and so this hymn, with its four stanzas, I really believe can be a guide for us, a daily guide for us. We know that the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us is supposed to be a daily guide, and we're not just supposed to do it, uh, you know, with just, without even thinking. We're supposed to contemplate everything we're saying when we say that. So too with this. This prayer hymn should be a daily guide because it directs us how to grow in, in love. And so the very first stanza, and we're going to put them up on the screen, Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art, visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. And we remember from that, the revelation, the home of God is among mortals, he will dwell with them, they will be his people's. And so I think this first stanza every day should remind us that we uh, acknowledge that it is God 
that is the source of limitless grace. We need to be reminded that each and every day we should pray that God's love would, be, would dwell in us. Pray for the indwelling of Jesus Christ. And if we have really done that, friends, we know that there is this joy of heaven to earth come down, as Wesley wrote it. But we are the dwelling place of God's love, and as such, we are called to be joy bringers, to be joy givers. If a child of God doesn't have joy in their heart, something is wrong. We are called to share this joy with others. And so, what have you done today to bring joy to another human being? What opportunities are you going to have this day or or this week to bring joy to someone else? I find joy in, in little things, in surprising things, even in dark times. There are members of this community of faith that chose to spend their pandemic instead of just staring at a screen to do the old-fashioned thing, to take out a pen and some paper and an envelope and write letters and put stamps on it. And I've, re- I've been the recipient of some of those over this time, and what a joy it is to hold the piece of paper that somebody was holding and writing on when they were thinking about you or thinking about what we as a church are up to. We are called to be to bring joy because of the unlimited grace that is extended to us. But the second stanza says this, Breathe, O breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find that second rest. Take away our bent to sinning. Alpha and omega be. End of faith as its beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. And again, we heard that text from John. I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. But what we need to acknowledge in this stanza is that this is a communal prayer. And that we as human beings, as God's children, need to pray that the Holy Spirit will enter the lives of others. Even those that we struggle with the most, that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in them and bring healing and bring wholeness. This is not a selfish prayer. In fact, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he gave us the, 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 the understanding that it is not just about me, myself, and I. I have my mother-in-law's third grade Bible that she got from her church, and she's in her 80s now, so this is an old, old Bible. And as I opened it up, a little piece of paper fell out, and there was this little poem that maybe you've heard about with the Lord's Prayer. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say, I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say, my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea. From the beginning to the end of it, it does not once say, me. We're in this together And we know that we need to take away our bent to sinning if we're truly going to be the global community that God calls us to be. We need to pray that we are freed from the desire to do wrong, to acknowledge that we are freed to do what is right, freed to love. I did a baptism yesterday, beautiful afternoon. This was outside of beautiful home, nice nice lawn, backed up into a a wild area. These twins, uh, Liam and... Uh, Leah, Lucas, just beautiful, beautiful family, beautiful babies. But we did that litany that reminds us that we are freed 
in order to be free to love. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? And I prompted them, if so, please say, I do. And they said, I do. But that next question that we hear all the time, do you accept the freedom? Do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives you to resist evil, to resist injustice, to resist oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And as God's people, let the answer be, I do for each and every one of us. The third stanza keeps us moving forward in this guide for how we can live a godly life. It reads, come almighty to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. And it continues, thee we would be always blessing. Serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. And so we pray for a grace which enables us to move closer to that perfect love. We are called to fill ourselves with thoughts of only higher things, of a, of a more excellent way. And as we mature into our faith, love takes priority over just about every single other thing. John Wesley and Charles Wesley believed that the, the journey of the spirit, the journey of the heart, can get to that place where it is made perfect in love. He called it sanctification or, or Christian perfection, this more excellent way. So Paul writes this church in Corinth, this, this little verse, chapter 12, verse 31, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, not many people remember that verse, but that's the verse that introduces 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we heard in our prayer, love is patient, love is kind, it, it is not envious, it does not boast, it does not keep record of right or of wrongs. You see, it says, I can have everything earthly, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. Without love, we are nothing. And that's, that passage ends with, uh, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Our final stanza says this, Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. That letter that John wrote, that revelation, God says, See, I'm making all things new moving us towards Christian perfection, a new creation in Christ, a heart made perfect in love. Another way to describe that is pure love of God and neighbor. And so this perfecting love is an ever-deepening process as we are changed from glory into glory. And so we have this guide, these four stanzas, that as the dwelling place of God's love, we are called to be joy givers, that we are called to be community, that we are in this together, that love guides us to the more excellent way and our actions should reflect this. And finally, pure and spotless, let us be perfectly restored in thee, sanctified hearts, perfect in love.